Welcome to the 73rd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Mike Cooper, author of the financial thriller, Clawback. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Mike Cooper, the author of the new novel, Clawback, available in bookstores now. In describing Clawback, the noted suspense and thriller writer Thomas Perry said, Clawback is a great guilty pleasure. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. Sure. Well, uh, as we get started, I wonder if you would, if you could read like the first um, couple of paragraphs of Clawback. Sure, I'd be happy to. Here we go. You'd think imminent arrest for a $40 million fraud might slow a guy down, but nope. There he was, wandering out of bazookas at midnight, by himself, conveniently. I'd been one step behind for 20 hours, chasing Hayden Pennerton across the hedge fund demimond, Greenwich Estate to Park Avenue offices, to Midtown Soju Bar to East Village Nightclub, and numerous meetings in between. Finally, long after dark, back to Connecticut, stopping off at a strip club on the way home, like it was any other workday. Hayden was so obvious a flight risk, I couldn't believe the Stamford PD wasn't standing in line. A dozen college boys got out of their cars, dome lights glowing and radios blaring as they slammed the doors. Light traffic passed on Richmond Hill Avenue. The parking lot was well lit, the air warm for early October. The sort of night you felt comfortable, at ease, safe. Great. Well, if the listeners haven't heard of about your new novel, Clawback, yet, can you tell them a little bit about the novel? Sure. The premise is that someone has started shooting investment bankers, hedge fund managers, and other financiers on Wall Street, but only the worst performing ones, the ones who have lost the most money and are at the very bottom of their rankings. A representative of the hedge fund industry hires our protagonist, Silas Cade, to try to figure out what's going on. Silas himself has a military background, drifted into independent consulting, and now works in a quasi-legal capacity, assisting business tycoons with problems that they cannot solve by normal means. Great. Well, as a reader, I love the idea of a hitman accountant. It's just perfect irony. <laughs> so do I. Um, <laughs> it, it, I will it, say, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, Silas, Silas K., that's the character, actually appeared in several short stories before I wrote a novel-length version of him. Those short stories were written for exactly that reason. I have a background in finance, and after many, many audits and sitting through long meetings, the idea of carrying an automatic weapon into, you know, some of the work seemed very appealing. But but, but the uh, the first Hitman accountant stories were written purely as an indulgence for myself, to amuse myself. It turns out I really liked his voice, and, and that's how it turned into a novel eventually. Well, well I, I think you just I think you just answered the question I was going to ask, and, and that is, you know, uh, what was it about the original idea for for Silas that appealed to you? And and I think you know, as you mentioned, just the the irony of of someone taking a, a weapon into a, a an audit. Anything else comes to mind about you know when you originally got the idea for the short stories? 
I will say, you know, an audit with a handgun would go a lot faster than they usually do. But the, the more seriously, I think that high finance is an underappreciated and underexplored venue or setting for thrillers and other sorts of popular genre fiction. You know, if you think about it, there's huge amounts of money in play. There are really interesting, really rotten people doing very rotten things and stealing tons of money. And it, it kind of puzzles me why more people don't try to deal with this in their writing. Maybe, maybe it's Maybe it just isn't that interesting to most people, but I certainly find it so. And I hope that Clawback and Silas himself can sort of convey that to the readership. Sure. Well, well, I'm curious along those lines. Do do you feel like, um, given your own knowledge of the 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 financial arena, so to speak, and and also the the you know, unfortunately for many people, the all too real. Uh, experience of the last several years in in the U.S. and the economic situation, uh, you know, mortgage foreclosures, et cetera, et cetera, job layoffs. Do you feel you are channeling some of your own personal anger and frustration over the current economic situation in the U.S. while you were writing Clawback? Possibly. That (laughs) certainly could be true. I, I will say that the book was written probably a year before the Occupy movement even appeared on the stage. So to some extent, like all novels, published traditionally anyways, there's an element of luck in its timing. But it's been obvious for a while that the economic structure, the way the the system works in the United States, is considerably distorted, largely to the benefit of those in positions of power and those who are earning great amounts of money on Wall Street. I think those distortions deserve to be recognized more widely. However, I'm sounding a little didactic here. The novel is is not at all about educating people. Right. Um, If if, (laughs) if they're, in fact, (laughs) I've had some complaints about the inadequacy of some explanations now and then. Uh, Well, along those lines, I I certainly don't want to turn this into a financial podcast, and I don't want to peep. Well, I don't want people to think that um, Clawback is not a, a fun, entertaining read, but some people may not realize that the term Clawback, the, the, the title, is an actual financial term. Can you, can you spend like 15 seconds explaining what a Clawback is? Sure. It simply means the mandatory return of compensation after a deal goes south. It's in the news lately because top executives – uh, especially in Britain for some reason, not so much over here, top executives of bailed-out banks are seeing some of their bonuses clawed back. In other words, they you know they walked home with $50 million, but after the government goes in and has to spend billions and billions of pounds on of taxpayers' money on bailing out the banks, some of that $50 million is clawed back. It's taken back from them. They have to return it. Right, but but again, uh, don't want people to think that this is a, a dry read by any means. So, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I certainly hope it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'm curious about your path to publication. Did did you um, were you the type of writer who always grew up writing? And and if you can recall, I wonder what was the impetus for you when you wrote your first novel length manuscript. I think. I've always enjoyed writing, and I can remember writing short stories, really bad ones, as early as grade school. In high school, I tried a few things but was never published. 
my first novel, the one that I absolutely never talk about, I wrote in my <laughs> 20s, and not even my wife is going to see that one. The first novel that I tried seriously to write and that I think had some quality to it was written after I decided, or we decided, that I would be the stay-at-home parent in our family, and that was a few months after our daughter was born. At that point, we were both working full-time, and we, I was, we were both totally convinced that, that Zonia, our daughter, was going to go into either daycare or we'd get a nanny or make arrangements of some sort. But in the end, it was me who couldn't bear the idea somehow of, of, of turning her over to someone else. So <laughs> it helped that I was unhappy at my job in that time. So my wife continues to work full-time. I'm at home as the stay-at-home parent, and it was at that point that I finally had the time to, to write a novel, my first novel, which was actually not published. Gotcha. And and so I, I wonder if we can talk for a moment about the novel that you wrote in your 20s. Do, do you feel like, you know, because a lot of people have this this idea or some people do have this idea that 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 for writers you sit down and, and it just comes naturally and you, you know, whatever you write, you, you end up publishing, but, but obviously, um, gosh, if only that were true. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. Right. So, so I I just, I I wonder, I mean, what, what was that process like for you? Because some people, if they wrote a novel and it was for whatever reason, unpublishable, they wouldn't move forward. They would say, I don't have it. What, what, what kept you moving forward? And, and, and what was the process like to kind of, get through that first novel, even if it wasn't pub, even if it wasn't publishable? Well, the, the, the first novel I wrote was about a young man in his 20s who was living in Tokyo. <laughs> and I wrote that as a young man in his 20s living in Tokyo. And I think that tells you all you need to know about the kind of novel it was. Right. So, um, and then as I, as I said, I, I came back to the United States and I, I had serious full-time employment for quite a number of years that simply did not allow any time for that. When it, when it came time to, to sit down and think about what I wanted to do now that I was at home much more than I had been, I wanted to write the kind of novel that I liked to read. Most people, I think, are, are starting out from that position, but, but that's, that's where I started. And because I had always read a lot of uh, crime fiction ever since my 20s, that seemed sort of the natural place to start. I actually began, I should say, with short stories. In fact, I think that short stories are a great way to, to learn the craft of writing and then move on to longer lengths because many of the lessons that are so useful at short lengths are doubly applicable in, in novels. It doesn't work the other way around. I, I can't, I'm digressing here. I can't often think, of, I can't off the top of my head think of many authors who start writing novels and then later in their careers, write, begin writing short stories and do it well. It seems to right. work much easier the other way around. I, I know, I know I, one that I could I can name off the top of my head. Jeffrey Deaver. That? Jeffrey Deaver, I think, actually did that. He had written you know seven or eight novels before he ever wrote a short story. He, he is a very interesting example. As it happens, yeah. I just saw Jeffrey Deaver this weekend. I was at Food Fest in Florida. Oh wow! Guest of honor, and he described his writing process. Now he has been writing for. I don't know how many years, but he has many, many novels out. And atypically for a author who has a lot of experience behind him, he still outlines at considerable length and considerable depth. He knows exactly the story he's going to write before he starts writing because he has worked on it hard for months, working out the outline. And I wonder if that 
if there's a lesson there for short fiction as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that's interesting, though. And, and, and I think you're right. I, I think that that's an exception. And I think that what you said originally, I think, is very right. I think that the majority of writers that I've that I've certainly familiar with that start out writing novels, many of them never go back and, 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 and write short stories after that. I'm just curious for yourself, what's the process like for you? Um, because, I mean, you, you know, you mentioned it. Is it fairly easy for you at this point to kind of switch back and forth? And, and do you find yourself in between novels writing on short, writing short stories? What, what's that like? Yeah. Yes. I, I think that's right. I, the only real constraint on me is that I find it difficult to work on more than one project at once. So if I'm working on a novel, I have to work on that novel and not distract myself with, with side projects. There's an element of having to get fully engaged with whatever narrative happens to be on the table and just stay with it until it's done. But right. yeah, so in between novels is the best way to do it. One, I just want to make one comment about the, the choice between writing novels and short stories. It's also true that once you're published, novels are far more lucrative. So, <laughs> right, so right. There may be an incentive, you know, to, to stick with the longer lengths. Exactly. Um, you you mentioned Jeffrey Deaver and his his uh, outlining um, process, which which I understand is is very extensive. What what is your writing process like for your novels? Do you outline or do you write more organically? I have tried many different ways. I have outlined, perhaps not to the depth that Jeffrey Deaver does, but I've had. Uh, novels that I've written with 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 note cards. I actually hand-wrote note cards for one novel. I've also done outlines on the computer in sort of modified Word documents. I've tried spreadsheets. I've used just sheafs of handwritten paper. A little bit of everything. Nowadays, I have to say, with a little experience, it's fairly easy for me to grasp the, the larger arcs in my head, maybe with some notes on the paper, but not a lot of notes, and just start writing. It does help, of course, that Clawback and the sequel, which I'm wrapping up right now, will be published next year, are first-person narratives. And that's, it's much easier to write a first-person story because something happens to the character, then something else happens, then the next thing happens. There's no it, it, sort of interleaving of plot lines is necessary. Uh, the couple of novels I've written that have multiple points of view re- do require, I think, much more careful outlining or a much more onerous task of revising once the right. draft is done. Right. And, and so you just mentioned the the sequel to Clawback. Do you have a um, do you have a title for that for that yet? Would that I be your next novel? I, I have some. I have made some suggestions to my editor and agent, and we're thinking about it right now. Of course, it has to be a phrase from the financial world. I think we'll try to stick with that theme. Right. But, you know, what is appropriate and what's going to sound good? We're, we're not there. No, it's, it's still an untitled sequel. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, well, given your success to date in terms of uh, having novels published, what what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers who are trying to get their own work published, either short stories or, or novels? I think one thing that that's very important is to not rush the process. There is in this age of of electronic publishing and the ability to put your material up there immediately, there's a strong temptation to get work into print 
electronically or otherwise, before it's really ready. To me, it's, it's really important to have not just first readers, but to work with a good editor. I, I really like my editor right now, right now is uh, Josh Kendall at Viking. And perhaps unlike many editors, he puts a lot of time into revising the manuscript with his authors. I think, I, I, I know that my books, well, the one that we've worked on so far, comes out much better, came out much better because of that. So take your time, do a good job, get lots of external input, and revise, revise, revise some more, let it lie fallow, revise again. Make sure that it's really good by the time that you make it available to the public, whether that's yourself or whether you're showing it to potential agents or potential editors. Right. Well, well where can people find you online? I am at MikeCooper.com, fairly easy to remember. And right. from there, you can find my Twitter account, fairly active, at Coop, and the Facebook account as well. Great. Well, um, again, we've been speaking with Mike Cooper, author of the new novel, Clawback, which is available in book bookstores now. Mike, thanks for doing the interview. Jeff, thanks a lot. It was a great conversation. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.